Welcome back, warriors. And I am the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. But before we jump right into things, don't forget to support this podcast by becoming a monthly donor on Patreon or making a one-time support donation on the Buy Me A Coffee app. We also have a selection of great t-shirts and hoodies, the proceeds of which help support this podcast and the Warrior Kids podcast, so we can make sure kids are included too. Your support helps keep my content entirely independent and ad-free. There's also non-monetary ways that you can support this podcast by liking each episode, leaving comments, leaving positive reviews, sharing episodes on social media, or using it in your classrooms. Now, back to the podcast. Last week, Warrior Life Podcast was a conversation with three Mohawk land defenders, Skylar Williams, Layla Stotts, also known as Layla Black, and Logan Stotts, all from Six Nations, which is part of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. They traveled to Wet'suwet'en territory to support Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, clan members, and other land defenders and relations who were there when the RCMP invaded Wet'suwet'en Yinta and forcibly removed Indigenous peoples from their lands. After seeing and hearing about the RCMP violence committed against Indigenous land defenders who were peaceful and unarmed, we wanted to check in with Slato. Many of you know her as Molly Wickham. Slato is the spokesperson for the Gidimden clan, one of the clans of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. She was just on our podcast this past October, making a call out for solidarity actions because she felt that an RCMP invasion was imminent. And she was right. The RCMP forcibly removed Wet'suwet'en and their relations from their lands, arrested and detained them. While the photos and videos we saw of the RCMP using an axe and a chainsaw to get at these peaceful land defenders was horrifying, the media didn't show everything that happens, including what happens afterwards, where there aren't any cameras. The RCMP violence and degradation and racism that is brought to Indigenous peoples after the arrests. Skylar, Layla, and Logan spoke about some of that in our last podcast episode, and Slato, Molly Wickham, joined me to share her specific experiences. But before we roll the clip of my convo with Slato, I think it's important to set the context for those who might only be joining us for the first time today or who haven't been keeping track about what the issues are out there. Keeping in mind, I am not a spokesperson for the Wet'suwet'en Nation, all of my information comes from Wet'suwet'en hereditary leaders, land defenders, and publications that they make. First of all, Wet'suwet'en Nation has Aboriginal title over all of their traditional territory. It's never been ceded, surrendered, or extinguished. And when questions about their title were litigated all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada in the Delgamook case, it was the traditional hereditary leaders that represented the Wet'suwet'en nations, not the individual First Nation chief and councillors. 
The Wet'suwet'en Nation tried years ago to have Coastal GasLink Pipeline build their pipeline on an alternative route. Coastal GasLink refused, claiming it would cost too much. According to the Wet'suwet'en hereditary leaders and clan members, Coastal GasLink Pipeline does not have their free prior and informed consent of all members of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. They don't have permission from the hereditary leaders or through any of their traditional decision-making processes. This is important because the Wet'suwet'en are still governed by their traditional laws and governing systems. It's also important to note that it is against Indigenous laws, BC and Canadian laws, and international laws to forcibly remove Indigenous peoples from their own territories. Both the province of British Columbia and the federal government have passed legislation to recognize UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, as applicable in BC law and Canadian law. And we all know that UNDRIP recognizes the rights of the Wet'suwet'en to govern their own lands according to their own laws, and they have a right to say yes or no to activity that happens on their lands. It's also really important to note that although we're talking about a very specific RCMP invasion of Wet'suwet'en territory, this isn't the first time it's happened. This is the third major invasion by the RCMP. And we all know that the RCMP is a male-dominated paramilitary organization that according to many reports, including the most recent written by a former Supreme Court of Canada justice, is infected with a toxic culture of racism, misogyny, homophobia, and violence at all ranks and in all provinces. They are a lawless, violent organization, especially those in SERG, which act like private security for the extractive industry. And I think it's also important to note all of the reports that have confirmed that the RCMP's pension have a vested interest in the CGL pipeline going through Wet'suwet'en territory. It is reported that well over $100 million of the RCMP pension is invested in TC Energy, which is the parent company of Coastal GasLink Pipeline, and further, that the Public Sector Pension Investment Board invests in many extractive industry companies, especially in oil and gas. The United Nations Committee for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination called on Canada to stop the Coastal GasLink Pipeline to remove the RCMP and all of their weapons away from Wet'suwet'en territory and to protect Indigenous peoples and respect their human rights. They also called on Canada to respect the free prior and informed consent of the Wet'suwet'en and that none of these projects should go forward unless and until they have that. Canada's failed to comply. This means that Canada and the RCMP are literally outlaws. They are acting outside of their own rule of law and the international rule of law to which it has agreed to be bound. Hopefully, that provides new listeners with the relevant background context to better understand the core issues that are at stake here. This is about lawlessness by the RCMP, the province of BC, the federal government, and Coastal GasLink Pipeline, not lawlessness by the Wet'suwet'en people. So now let's listen into the conversation that I had with Slato, who was back in her home territory after she was released from RCMP detention and the court process, and find out what happened 
and what's happening next. Welcome back to the show, Slato. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances. Thank you for having me. And yes, uh, it seems like we are continually dealing with these issues on Indigenous territories year after year. And uh, hopefully one day we will see an end to that. Yeah, that's it's got to be the future podcast that has to be our goals. Well, for anyone who's just joining us now, maybe you introduce yourself according to your own protocols. Sure. Um, Hari Sai Slato Sydney, Gidim Den Hesley, um, Cassia Dista, but so ten is then Clodus Ben Vistai. I'm Slato. My English name is Molly Wickham. I hold the name in Cassia House, which is the grizzly bear house of the Gidimden clan of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Um, and I live at Thudispin, which is uh, the name of our Cassia territory that we have been defending against the coastal gasoline pipeline. Well, thank you for making the time. I can't imagine what a zoo it must be with everything that's happened in terms of the RCMP and the court process. Um, Molly, the last time we talked, you had made a call out for a National Week of Solidarity, and you said at the time that you've kind of felt like an RCMP raid was imminent again. What made you think that? I guess it's, you know, we live in small communities, and we are really, you know, it's really obvious when there's new people in the community, when there's something going on, and, you know, we really feel like we have good support in the community that tell us when there's people that are you know, when there's RCMP that are amassing in the communities. Um, and also there's just really a lot of, um, you know, a lot that's been going on on the territory that we have been keeping an eye on. So we need to always be vigilant and prepare for what's coming. Um, and we usually have some pretty good signs um, that that's going to happen. Well, I mean, you seem to have called it every single time you knew when the movement was happening. Now, um, Literally, when I saw the video that was released after um, the arrest, what it looked like to me was literally a horror movie. And I've been saying that on every platform, that it looked like something out of The Shining. Literally, the RCMP hacking into the house with an axe and then a chainsaw. Meanwhile, with high-powered guns directed right at you. I mean... You must have been worried that this time they were really escalating the violence. Yeah. And in fact, they actually, all of their um, tactics so far have, have demonstrated that they have been escalating their violence. And so it was a very real, you know, day and hours and moments when the the guns were trained on us and the dogs were there and you just, you know, any wrong move or any movement at all felt like that could have been it well for, for us it's you know watching it and anyone who isn't in the territory knowing that there wasn't anything right in the moment we could do it made us pretty thankful that at you know there were some of you know allied nations out there uh, on the podcast this week I was talking to Skylar Williams and Layla Stotts and Logan Stotts and, and how they were trying to kind of be like a front line before the RCMP got to you? I mean, how important is it for all of us as First Nations all across the country to be allies with uh, Wet'suwet'en land defenders? Yeah, I think it's really important. And we're so grateful for all of the allies that come and stood with us during those days of the raids, but also that have been here over the years, um, building those relationships. 
and people that have, you know, done actions where in their territories and have started those political alliances as well, because um, we're all in this together. You know, we started a campaign last year that we are one from coast to coast and that we're all dealing with the same types of genocide and the same types of colonial tactics and violence from the police um, and industry on our territories. And so a lot of people really see those struggles um, and it helps us to stand strong when we know that we're not alone. You know, we are a small nation compared to a lot of other nations, especially compared to the Haudenosaunee and, you know, some of the other nations out east. We actually, our numbers are quite small, but our territory is very large. And so it's challenging for us to um, be able to protect our territory in the way that we need to um, by ourselves. And so we are so grateful and appreciative of all of the sacrifice that the other warriors and other nations have brought um, and that stand with us. And also our Gixan neighbors, you know, they have been very solid this whole, throughout this whole struggle, standing with us on the Inta and also, you know, creating their own actions on their territories um, that have been critical in, especially in this occupation of Coyote Camp. Well, and one of the things I've noticed that there's a trend with all of the different allied nations or individuals that have spoken about this is that they're doing all of this out of love and support and a sense of solidarity. None of them have violent intentions. None of them come there armed with weapons. There's nothing dangerous about the situation, no matter what the RCMP says, that literally this is like the biggest show of love that they could give. Yeah, you know, when um, on the day of the raid at Gidimden checkpoint, they're standing all standing across the bridge from all of these armed militarized police um, and attack dogs and snipers trained on them. And everybody gathered around our elder that was there who was trying to talk to the police. And they gathered around her and they all linked arms and they were just protecting her. Um, and they were singing, you know, and and talking, trying to, to de-escalate the situation. Um, and that's, you know, what they were there for was to protect our sacred water, our elders, the love that they have. And, you know, we all feel like family now because we all drink out of the same river. You know, we've all sat around the fire and, and shared stories and shared songs and um, shared really important, you know, um, our governance systems and talked about those things. And so we really feel connected to those people and they feel connected to our territory and our territory, you know, holds them in a really special way as well. Well, and you can hear it in their voices too. I mean, when I was hearing Logan talk about saying, you know, when you're facing essentially an army who are trying to attack you, he's like, what do I do? am I supposed to fight them? You know, and they all said, no, it's just about holding on tightly to one another and holding on to each other when it happens, whatever happens goes down. And you know, that it just makes the rest of us so upset that the state would literally pull out an army like that for peaceful unarmed land defenders who are just trying to protect the water for everybody. It just, it literally makes no sense. And one of the things I heard in the media, um, you were being interviewed, I think it was by Brandy Morin, about what happened after they pulled you out of the cabin and they, they stuck you in a police vehicle with all of your winter gear on, with the heat on max, and just left you there to swelter in the vehicle. 
Yeah, the treatment that we received once we were arrested was was severely punitive, um, violated our indigenous rights and our, our human rights. You know, there were hours and hours, sometimes 12 hours, where we were left without food or water, um, especially the day of the arrest. You know, we were in the back of a, a, a vehicle for two hours with the heat full blast, um, you know, just sweating and nearly passed out. And then weren't provided water or food, you know, for another 10 hours after that. And so the conditions were actually really severe um, and just really, you know, really made the the fact that we were guilty. You know, it's not people say, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty. But no, absolutely not. Especially with this um this group of RCMP, this group of police, this is the CURG, the Community Industry Response Group, and they are absolutely out of control. They're the ones that are increasing this and escalating the violence. Um, they have no accountability whatsoever. Even uh, many of them are reservist cops. Um, they pull them out of the reserves of RCMP in the province, and they're not accountable underneath the regular provincial RCMP Act. And so they know that and they act accordingly, you know, with impunity and um, they can treat us however they want. You know, they they refuse to give us COVID masks when we asked for COVID masks, even though they weren't using COVID masks inside the vehicle. They said we weren't being polite enough when they just had semi-automatic weapons pointed in our faces and violently arrested us out of our own home. Um but we weren't being polite enough. So we didn't deserve to be protected from the global pandemic that was happening. I can't um, help but think that this is very personal. I mean, the RCMP in general has a problem, but there's a real problem with the BC RCMP. I mean, I saw a video of one of the RCMP officers like, I want Molly. Like it was going to be his big hunting prize to be the one to arrest you or process you. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Or when they went to arrest your husband and called him Cody Wickham instead, it's like, you know, I'm going to go get him. What is it? What's in it for them? Aside from very nice pensions from TC Energy in which they have stocks. But why are they making this so personal? Yeah, they. I think that this is very um, representative of the Kurg unit themselves. Like they are specifically hired to protect industry. And so when somebody is doing something or they perceive somebody to do something that threatens the industry that they're being paid to protect, then they take it personally. It's their job personally to protect CGL on the territory. Um, and they absolutely have made reference to, you know, being targeting myself and targeting certain individuals. Um, there were some officers as I was being driven by um, paraded in the back of the cop truck um, through a whole line of CGL workers. And some of the yeah. RCMP were just smiling at me. They're like, hey, Molly, how you doing? You know, like it was very targeted. Um, they announced it over the radio as soon as I was arrested several times that they had arrested me. Um, and then they went and arrested my husband who was standing around a campfire to support me on the, you know, near the road to our home. Um, not anywhere near a work site, um, not blocking anything or doing anything that could even be perceived as breaking the injunction or violating the injunction. Um, so these, these, this is getting very personal and very targeted um, and escalating in violence.
It's not even something that we could make up. It's literally there. It's them on video just being so excited. And it, and it made me think when I heard, you know, you were arrested, then your husband's arrested. And I was like, oh, my goodness, please don't touch those kids or the rest of her family, you know, because I wouldn't put it past them. Oh, absolutely. And that was a huge concern of ours. Um, you know, they went and arrested Cody and he was, you know, caretaking for our children this whole time that I was at coyote camp. Um, and so it was very concerning for me. And I actually, you know, I was very calm for the most part during the arrest. And at that point I just, you know, I, my emotions got the best of me and I was yelling and I was swearing and I was so mad. Um, and not at Cody, but at the RCMP for going and arresting him. And we had to make a decision about, you know, who's going to go in there. There was an exclusion zone. Obviously the kids were cared for that they were mm -hmm. safe and somebody was there taking care of them, but I absolutely wouldn't put it past them to come and try to, you know, do something like that. And there was, you know, the chief's daughter was there and was just as violently arrested as, myself and they, you know she was saying I'm Wasa's daughter I'm the chief's daughter you're not allowed in this is a Wasa's cabin um with her partner her Haudenosaunee partner um Jay and you know it was the video actually for that is going to be out soon but people haven't seen that yet and that's a huge other part of this story is that you know that all of these attack dogs and at coyote camp the attack dogs and the um, sniper rifles they're all aimed at indigenous women yeah i mean talk about violence against indigenous women and girls in this country and we've been saying all of the danger that's associated with man camps and construction including police officers and here they they have no problems doing this all on video like all of it smashing into the cabin, you know, guns uh, pointed at women who are unarmed and who've always been unarmed. I mean, the, all of that just, it seemed unreal. And it, and what concerned me was really looking from the outside, um, the escalation of it, the escalation of the numbers, the escalation of the violence um, and that you were kept in detention for longer than even the Haudenosaunee land defenders. Like, I think they were out after 28 grueling hours, but they kept you much longer, didn't they? Yeah, I was in, um, in jail for five days, for four nights and five days, um, which is really, um, you know, unprecedented for a civil charge, for a breach of injunction for a civil charge. Um, and... They, I think we counted that I was in eight different cells, you know, that we all were in eight different cells. We were in four different jails and eventually ended up in the correctional center um, on the last night and the last day. So the last, um, spent one night at the correctional center and, and one full day there, um, just in holding cells, waiting to be, before I even saw a judge, it was five days before I was even wow. before a judge um, to you know, argue my conditions for release, which the conditions were actually horrendous and absolutely in violation of our Section 35 rights under the Constitution um, and in, in violation of all our Wet'suwet'en rights and our access to the land, you know, and the, the court, CGL, put forward all of those conditions and the court accepted them. So there's this private industry and the 
Canadian court who are acting as Indian agents, determining who is and who isn't Wet'suwet'en, who is and who isn't um, allowed to be on the territory, and when and how. And they are making those decisions in 2021. That is still happening. And it's setting a really dangerous precedent um, for our in the violation of Indigenous rights. Well, and I even heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that they were questioning your identity, trying to make the bur- shift the burden onto you to prove that you're even part of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. I mean, I don't know what kind of card you need for that, but kind of living on the territory, being part of the Wet'suwet'en Nation, is that not identity enough for them? Yeah, and it was actually really interesting because they wanted to argue that I wasn't Wet'suwet'en and that I didn't have a right to be on the territory and that I shouldn't be allowed to go back on the territory. And so, and our and our chiefs, our house chiefs of our clan are sitting there in the courtroom when they're trying to, you know, make these arguments and then they decided against it because, you know, we were going to... The, the chiefs are sitting right there. It'd be so easy to get an affidavit that I hold a name in our clan, um, which is a certain, you know, comes mm-hmm. with specific responsibilities and also a specific position within our system. Um, and it was absolutely absurd to me that they would do that. But they also did that to other people. They challenged Wass's daughter's identity. They um, challenged... Um, Shays, one of the other Indigenous women that was with us, they had challenged her identity. They challenged um, Jossie's partner's uh, identity and not his identity, but his um, reasoning for being on the territory, saying that he had no rights. But under our system, um, our partners and our husbands and our wives, like they have specific rights under our system. They have specific rights to access our territory and specific uh, responsibilities to our territory as well. Well, and I guess the the gross thing about all of this is that this is the coastal gas link. This is all under civil procedures. It's coastal gas link. It's not the federal government. It's not the provincial government. There's no there's no Wet'suwet'en rights even involved here. It's just corporate rights. Yeah, absolutely. And this whole um, injunction, you know, it's absolutely disgusting how they're using that just to criminalize indigenous people on our own territories. Um, and that they are giving so they are being given so much leverage and leeway within the court system um, as a private corporation where they have no right None. to be saying any of these things. They have no, it's laughable that they would even think that they could s- determine somebody's lineage and somebody's identity in a colonial court given evidence by a private industry like Coastal GasLink. It is repugnant. Um, Before you go, uh, can you give us a sense of what's next? Obviously, you've been arrested. You've been charged with one or more uh, civil offenses, I guess. Um, And uh, there's probably going to be more court proceedings, but w- like what's next for Gidimden clan? I mean, we all tried to put together a submission really quickly to the UN CERD, the committee for the elimination of racial discrimination, you know, their early warning and urgent action process and say, look what's happening over here. They're not only not listening to your first directive to stop the pipeline and get the RCMP out of there, but they're in like literally potentially physical danger here with, the, the RCMP and hope that CERD will take some action. But 
is is there anything that's next for you? Like, are you back home on your territory now? Yeah, so I'm back home on my territory um, in a limited capacity. I can't go and access the territory um, in the way that I normally should or would be able to. So I have conditions that say I'm only allowed to use um, the territory for cultural purposes, hunting or fishing, but I'm not allowed to go within 75 meters of the pipeline right away. And the right away cuts right through the heart of our territory, which limits my access. So I can't go and set traps Um, I can't go and hunt up certain roads because I can only go so far and then I have to turn around and go back, um, which really restricts me. But we are still at, you know, our home on the territory. We still have the get them done checkpoint that we need to be occupying, that people need to be at. You know, everything kind of falls apart after a raid. And we really need support on the ground for to be rebuilding um, everything that we need to protect the territory. And this fight is not over for us. You know, we're having meetings um, with our chiefs and our nation and our Takaize about what are the next steps. Um, we're continuing to build those relationships yeah. with our Haudenosaunee allies. Um, we're continuing to invite people to the territory. You know, this is far from over and we have to do everything that we can to protect Wetzinkwa. Okay, so ways that people can help are to go to your website, intoaccess.com. It's got all the different ways in which supporters can help by doing call-outs and letters and organizational support. And then you have protocols around people coming to camp who can come and support on the ground. And there's also donations. Uh, Are we still able to give donations for legal fees and camp supplies and things like that? Yeah, so there's a lot of um, legal things that are happening right now. And also Coastal Gaslink destroyed our um, camp. They destroyed Coyote Camp and came in and bulldozed everything and took it in dump trucks again away. Um, So a lot of the supplies that people had donated uh, have been destroyed. Um, So there is a link for um, fundraising um, that's on our website at yintaaccess.com. Um, and we want to encourage people to follow along and please, you know, come to the INTA if you can um, check in about that. And we're really trying to target the investors because they, um, you know, they're on shaky, really shaky ground right now. And I think that that we can put a lot of pressure on them in a lot of ways. Well, thank you so much, Molly. I know you're enjoying precious time with your babies and you're doing so much media and education and outreach and and trying to organize with everyone. So I just want to say thank you for all you do. Um, You literally are an inspiration for everyone else because we know so long as there are land defenders on the ground that our lands are still being defended. And it'll be the day when we don't have land defenders and people don't care that that's when we should worry. Today is the day that we should celebrate that you're still there and that you don't give up. Thank you for all that you do. And I'll make sure to post all the links to everything um, and and try to advocate for people to send supplies or donations or follow the protocols to, to come to camp. And hopefully one of these days you're going to come on this podcast and you're going to say they're out, they're gone. We stopped Coastal Gasoline Pipeline because we've stopped pipelines before. We've stopped Alton Gas. We stopped the development at 1492. And so now it's what Soatin's turn. Absolutely. I 100% wholeheartedly believe that we're going to win this fight and we're not going to stop till we do. Well, thank you so much. And um, thank you to all the listeners. Follow the links, support Wet'suwet'en, support um, Slato and everything they do. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag.